Welcome to In China with Michelle Zhou. Manufacturers have long known China to be a leader in their industry, but now the world is recognizing China as a business center for companies, market traders, education, and artists. It's no wonder that the economy has grown to be the world's second largest. In our program, you'll learn from the thought leaders and professionals who have lived in both the U.S. and China and continue to do business there. Now, here is your host, Michelle Zhou. Welcome, everyone. It's so great having you here today. You are listening to In China with Michelle Zhou, and I'm your host, Michelle. I'm the founder and the CEO of Pacific Technologies Consulting Group. We help American and Chinese organizations learn from each other, bridge their needs, and grow their businesses internationally. You can contact me at our company website, ptcgconsulting.com. Make sure to click on the show links on my webpage. Or email me at michelle.zou at ptcgconsulting.com. And as always, I welcome you. Connect me on LinkedIn. Today we have a wonderful guest, Leslie Lewis, here on the show with me. She is an author, a psychologist, an executive coach, and a culturalist. And she's the founder of cultural3council.com. We are going to talk about crossing global boundaries. Adaptation, transition, and assimilation when moving to China. Welcome to the show, Leslie. Thank you so much, Michelle. It's wonderful to be here.、It's、yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that、uh, you can spare the time with us. When I do the introduction, you have a long title of so many different things, resembling who you are.、Uh-huh. Maybe we can start with a. Introduction of what all these different、uh, titles means, and、uh, what's your relationship to China? Okay, well, first and foremost, my relationship to China is that I've lived in Hong Kong for thirty-three years. Thirty-three,、so, yeah, 30, that's a long time. Long time,、mm-hmm. very long time. I moved there in nineteen eighty-five, and prior to that, though, I had lived in Vancouver, and I worked actually very close to Chinatown. I was.、Um, Working in a secondary school there, so China. You were a teacher. I was a teacher. I started teaching when I was twenty-one,、huh. and I taught primary school. I've taught secondary to school. I've taught at university, postgraduate work. I love teaching, and so and China always was coming into my life. Even as a little girl, when I was growing up in New York, we would always go for Chinese food on Sunday night. You know, we'd go, and then we moved to Arizona. And San Francisco, and going to Chinatown, then moving to Vancouver. So, and then I moved to Hong Kong. I was offered a job in Hong Kong. You loved it so much when you were young. Oh, very. I went to seven different schools, and that's what I talk about in my upcoming book, which is called "The Path of the Pomegranate," about adult third-cultured kids. And one of the main characteristics is mobility. Mm-hmm. And so, from the time I was in either P one or first grade up until the time <laughs> I graduated from high school, I went to seven different schools. I'm about the same number.、Uh, Four different schools in primary school, then three in middle school. My high school was the only place I stayed for in China was three years. Yeah, All right. All <laughs>、uh, three years in one place. <laughs> So that's one of our—I call it our gypsy feet—and for expats and people moving within the global arena, it's often that's one part is that they moved as children, 
And so they have continued to keep that up as adults. As they move into their adult life, the mobility, it's the, the word mobility. Mm -hmm. And so many years ago, so after teaching, I went into counseling in schools and then a psychologist and I've had a private practice. And I was living in Seattle prior to moving to Hong Kong. And I was a supervisor at the crisis clinic Whoa. and did a lot of crisis intervention. Wow. And so I've had a very varied background in psychology counseling. And so that part. So continue to have a private practice in Hong Kong. And I work in two doctor's clinics. And um, I see individuals, couples, and families, primarily expats or Asian-speaking, Chinese-speaking, or, or English-speaking. So I've worked extensively uh, throughout Asia in the psychological realm. My second hat, as I call it, is... Wait, wait, wait a second. Yeah. Okay. You moved to Hong Kong for what reason exactly? I was offered a job. What kind of job? Okay, Primarily. I, had, <laughs> I had left education... But then I had friends who moved to Hong Kong in 82. They had gone to the American school. They were counselors. And so then they voice taped me in those days. You know, you would send voice tapes. And around it was an application form to apply to be a counselor in the schools there and to start setting up some community-based activities and so forth within the community and to teach psychology. Okay, so, so you went I was there so I applied for the American school, uh -huh. and mm -hmm. I was offered a job, and so that's when I moved to Hong Kong. So you so, moved to Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah, so I moved to Hong Kong in '85, and have been there, primarily, you know, pretty much ever since. Um, that's funny. You didn't move as much as <laughs> as before after you landed in Hong Kong. I know. I know. I just kept, and then all of a sudden I got to Hong Kong. What city? Right? And then all of a sudden I had children. And then all of a sudden, life just took its course, and my work took its course, and there <laughs> was life, and, there. and there was the community, the expat community, and, you know, and meeting the local people, and it just became very much a part of my life. Mm -hmm. And now my children are adults, and they've left Hong Kong, but I keep <laughs> going back to Hong Kong. I do spend a little bit more time. So you went to Hong Kong for the job, and you were... Teaching, or I was counseling in the secondary okay. school uh -huh. at the American school and teaching psychology and then setting up community-based programs or trying to. And then after four years, I saw and realized that there was a real need to have a, a you know, I wanted to have a private practice, that there was a real need for individuals, couples, and families that were Many were asking me if I could do therapy and conduct therapy, so I left. What them. kind of therapy? Well, that's the counseling, the psychological individuals, you know, looking at stress, looking at careers, what were they going to mm. do next, maybe having some issues in their own personal life often, you know, about how they were feeling about living overseas, many of them. If people were single, they were looking at well, how long should they stay in Hong Kong, or within Asia, maybe they should be moving back to home, whatever that means. <laughs> That's another question. When one is an expat, where is home? And couples, you know, it was marital issues. It was, you know, raising children, work-related issues. You know, there's just a whole host of issues that people would be asking me. And then families coming together that could have had been having some difficulties, with, you know, with their children. Or maybe having just moved to Hong Kong or moving to other places in Asia. They had teenagers. No teenager likes to move, and so <laughs> and I tell their own uh, friends. <laughs> and I tell parents, so don't move 
when you have somebody that's 13 or 14 until they've graduated because they're really angry and they really like their friends. They want to be with their friends and their peers and they don't want to move. And so, you know, dealing with teenagers that are moving okay. or how to prepare people to move, just to leave Hong Kong or to leave Asia and go to a, and repatriate, move back home again or moving to a new country. Mm-hmm. So, so that's that. your own business that comp- you had for a long time now, I've right? had for a long time. And then the second part of that is the executive coaching. I worked extensively at the executive level with coaching. I started coaching before the word came out. Uh, you know, I, I started coaching in the 80s with the banks, the investment banks, the insurance companies. And then it's just snowballed from the, there and continue to do that at the business level. Mm-hmm. And again, working with leadership, CEOs, leaders working in small teams, you know, whatever the coaching represents. Mm. And then the third part is the cross-cultural. And I call myself a culturalist, which I really feel because I was born into two different cultures. My mom's British. My dad was American. So they were just very different. Okay. Even though they (laughs) supposedly spoke English, English, but (laughs) different English. Very different. My dad was a New Yorker and my mom's English, you know. So I was born into that, and I was always been fascinated wherever we lived in, like in New York or moved to Tucson, Arizona, and living in the many places, whether that be Vancouver, Seattle, uh, California, all over, and traveling extensively. I've mm-hmm. always been fascinated. So cross-cultural work, and the cross-cultural work is working with teams, cross-cultural yeah. teams with the multinationals, whether that be cross-cultural communication, conflict resolution, unconscious bias, and a host of others, you know, working with virtual teams, working with the CEOs and have an understanding of what their, who their colleagues are, you know, who's working for you. And that's where I bring in talks for women. I've done a lot with the women in corporations and the women in the business world. And again, third cultured kids and adult third cultured kids and representing. Okay, so with so many different things you have been doing, I want to focus on today more on the part that relates to China and help our audience who are the people who are interested in learning more about China or maybe thinking about in the future they either do business in China or with Chinese people or they are going to China to work. Like what you have done, right? You went to Hong Kong and stayed there for a long time. So let's focus on this part and think how we can help them to get some... um, To assimilate and transition in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because the transitioning and assimilation process, there's several stages to it. And it's when somebody first decides or is offered, let's say, a job to move to Shanghai. Beijing, Guangzhou, wherever, Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. person has to say, okay, this would probably be good for my career. Mm-hmm. And yes. many people just stop there. And it probably is very good for their career because they've been asked by their company to relocate. But there's also many other factors as to why do I want to take this job besides the career ladder, which I think is important financially, where is that? If I am relocating with a family, meaning children and a partner, what will that mean for them moving to Shanghai? I'm going to say Shanghai. I could say Hong Kong or whatever. But what does this move mean for everybody within the family? Have all the considerations taken place? And then, if everybody's in agreement, if the two adults, if there are two adults, in agreement about the roles of the two people, one will work. Well, what if the other person wants to work? What about moving to China? Can the, the partner or spouse can they work? Is there mm-hmm. a working visa? What will they do? 
once the children, if the children are in school, mm -hmm. what will they, you know, the accompanying spouse or partner be doing? I think there's many things to talk about before you make the move. And then, of course, to find out about China. You know, yeah. what is it like to live in Shanghai with 25 million people? Well, do you want to live in Puxi or do you want to live in Pudong? Where are the schools going to be if you have children? What about the environment? Do you want more crowded? Do you want, ideally, if you can find you right. know, more open space? So I think a, a lot of times when people looking at moving to another country, well, it is very exciting on one side, right? Oh, well, totally. Go to a new mm. place and you meet new people, new culture. But on the other side, it's a little bit scary,、mm -hmm. and especially when the language is a hurdle there. Going to China, sure. Yeah, Chinese is not the easiest language no, to learn.、Not. I've tried to take it four times Mandarin, and I've tried to take Cantonese four times. I have not done very well, but <laughs> trying forever.、Uh, good, yeah, growth mindset, trying forever.、Oh. You keep on learning, yeah. Exactly. So maybe let's start with the language side. You can share with us about、uh, the people you have coached with, you have helped with,、mm. uh, when they. They are as extra moving to China, no matter which city they are going. Yeah, maybe from geography side, right?、Uh, some of the cities that it's easier for them to get around if、mm -hmm. they cannot speak the local language, Chinese, Mandarin, or Cantonese. And some of the cities that is a little bit harder. Yeah, I think、uh, and the dialect. Right, right, and the dialect, and it, maybe the facilities are not.、Um, Thinking bilingual, where's the English <laughs> put、right. in there? Yeah. So from your experience, what are the cities that are easier for expats to live in China? Okay, starting in the very south. Okay, well, of course, Hong Kong.、Um, it's very it's, yeah, it's Hong very Kong is like a, it's very in, very international.、Live. Yeah.、Right. Shenzhen has become easier. I mean, the first time I went to Shenzhen, it was just fields, you know. In '85, now it's this mega city of 15 to 20 million people. That's been pretty easy、mm -hmm. with where it's positioned geographically, and there's a lot of you know, well, English is spoken. There's yes, Mandarin and Cantonese. I would say Guangzhou、mm -hmm. has become easier. That was considered a hardship post in the '80s. You know, it was like off the beaten track. Guangzhou wasn't developed. A lot of places, Shanghai. Shanghai is, is very pretty、easy. international. Yeah, it's very international. Beijing is is easy in the sense that that's very international. You've got all the embassies there. You've got a lot of international businesses there. That's the Beishang Guangsheng. What do we say in Chinese? The Beishang Guangsheng. Bei means Beijing. Shang means Shanghai. Guangzhou、Zhou. and Shenzhen. Yeah, yeah, those four. Yeah, and of course, I、Hong、would、Kong. say Chengdu is becoming a little bit easier to live in than it was in the past. I mean, you、mm -hmm. can tell me if I'm. Right or wrong, but from what I hear, okay, and those then, are the major cities. Yeah, yeah, I would say they are. Yeah, the major cities, Kunming. I know that there's more people moving out to the west, but I still think that would be, you know, more really localized would be my、right. guess. I haven't so, been there in a while, and I would say majority of the jobs for expats maybe in those cities, as、mm -hmm. you just mentioned. Yeah, so that's first、uh, thinking about、uh, how. We can, or you can get around,、uh, and、um, I really and say, city that you can yeah,、stay. and language people absolutely need to take Mandarin.、Uh -huh, you know, I take the class one because learn a little it, bit,、uh -huh. learn about the language. You know, learn because that helps you to understand the culture. If we have some understanding of the language. Then we can understand the culture so much better.、Mm -hmm. If we just go around and say, "Well, which way 
to the hotel or something. But if we get to talk it and we go to the grocery stores, we go to the markets, we go do this, we interact with all the people on the streets and the stores, everywhere, schools, businesses, then you get an understanding of, of the culture that you've chosen to move to, mm-hmm. which can be very exciting. Yeah. And it's not just at the surface level, you get underneath. Language is the key. So, okay, we. Mandarin. Yeah. We, when someone is going to move, they need to think about、um, the job opportunities and they, they need to think about the family, you know, what、Absolutely. is it for everyone, right? They need to look at that. And they need to think about, okay, which city I'm going,、uh, is it easy to move around, to live there as a foreigner? Without really knowing the language there, then it's better for them to think about okay, I will try to learn Mandarin, even just a little bit, to help me get around. Exactly. Yeah,、mm-hmm. yeah and、uh, to have an understanding, you know, ideally you've talked to people before you made the move, you've read about, you've watched videos, Netflix, you know, whatever, on China. So you have, and China's in the news every single day, you know,、right. and has been for years. So I think it's not this unknown anymore. It's a very known country. It's you know been in the lead now for many many years. So I would say that. So get as much knowledge. Talk to people that have lived or are living in the country you're moving to. In this case, China. See what the pros and cons are because every place has got pros and cons. Right. If you want something specifically in food, make sure you can take that in and take it with you if you can't get it in <laughs> China because that becomes like oh I have to have that.、Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think、uh, that's great. I we need to take a quick break at this time. We will be back right away. Okay, thanks, Michelle. Are you interested in expanding your business to China, but don't know how to start? Are you wondering how to grow your sales in the China market and win over competition? Meet Michelle Zhou and her team at Pacific Technologies Consulting Group. Our consultants are U.S.-China experts and have all lived and worked in both the U.S. and China, with many years' experience in market entry strategies, management, and execution. We can help you find the right partners, develop opportunities, and grow your business in China. Please visit ptcgconsulting.com today. You are listening to In China with Michelle Zhou. To call into our program today, please call one eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. That's one eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. You may also send an email to info at ptcgconsulting dot com. Now back to this week's program. All right, we're back. So before the break, we talked a little bit about when somebody is preparing moving to China. What are the key things they need to consider? Now let's keep on the conversation. Think about if the family has moved from somewhere in the world and to China because one of the person needs to relocate for their job, right? Yeah. Then what are the other things they need to consider when they get there that can make the transition adaptation? Couple, <laughs> just a couple of things before people move or before they move from any place is to make sure that the way you leave a place is the way you will enter in. And what I mean by that, if you leave your old home and you're happy about the decision to move to, let's say, China, you will, for the most part, be very happy entering in. If someone or both people are quite unhappy, but they just did it because they thought it was great to take the job, you will enter in being pretty unhappy. So the way you leave your old home and the way you enter in are the same feeling often. 
Hmm. So remember that. And also the way saying goodbye to relatives, are they supportive of this decision for you to move to China? And friends and so forth and so on. So those are just a couple of things. Moving in is the honeymoon period. Oh, yay. Look at this. We've moved to Shanghai. Bright lights. Big city. 25 million. Look at all the places and things to do. And there's a real honeymoon. And it, you know, you're looking for a place to live. And you may live in a hotel for a while. And then you move into your flat or your apartment. And everything is new. And you're just going down the little alleyways. And you're looking in the streets. And you're seeing all the people coming out. And going to the Bund. And, and just being totally excited. And then about three or four months, the honeymoon starts to wane or end. And then you start looking around going, why did we move here? And then <laughs> work is like, uh, really, I just don't get it. You know, I, they don't get me and I don't get them. And everybody doesn't get anybody. And everything looks like, bleh. And Well, talking about work, um, I think uh, it's very different. Uh, even working in the same multinational company in the U.S. compared to... In the China subsidiary, it might be very different. Exactly. Yeah. And I have worked with many people that have moved from their company, you know, the same company. Let's say they move from New York and they're with one of the banks and they move to Hong Kong or they've moved to wherever. The corporate culture, yes, may be based out wherever headquarters is, mm -hmm. but when you get localized, you realize that, oh, wait a minute, the rules are very different because you are working with the host culture. Right. And that means the local culture, the host culture. And so to move to China, it's understanding how that particular office works within even Shanghai because the way they may operate in Kunming or Beijing could even be different because it's regional. If mm -hmm. we look at our regional, how people are. So it's really walking in there saying, yes, we work for the same company. But what do we do here at the local level? Right. It's very different. I give you one example because on myself, mm -hmm. I moved from the Seattle area for Microsoft to Beijing. And just one small thing, you will notice the difference. Lunchtime. Lunchtime in the headquarters in Microsoft, people are so busy that many people eat their lunch in front the, of the computer, exactly. right? Exactly. Or in the meeting. And in China, a lot of times people take the time and uh, go to a restaurant nearby. By the way, it's so easy to find so many restaurants just walking distance. So people take, uh, you know, two hours, <laughs> exactly. at least one hour, right? Yes. Yeah, to go to the lunch. And uh, that's the time social, you talking. You talk, you get to know people. Of, yeah, a mm. lot of things coming from there. And food is very important in Asian cultures, in Chinese culture. And I've said to hundreds, if not thousands, of people exactly what you're saying, Michelle. Go out for lunch. Go meet your team. Go out and eat. You will learn more about your cross-cultural existence and, you know, your team members and your the people that you work with and live with. Right. If you go out, step out. Do not eat at your computer. Right. You know, go out. And, and the other thing is, in the U.S., at least in Microsoft here, right, people, we put family first. So at a certain time, you see people go home and uh, pick up their kids or take their kids to after schools. Yeah. It's very, very common. Then you get on the computer in the evening after their family dinner or the kids went to the bed. Then in China, people work late. Yeah, yeah, it's, very long hours. 
yeah. very long working hours you right, know, in right. China. And yeah. the, the supporting system is different, right? In their family, they have the grandparents helping um, supporting the family and domestic care of the helpers. Kids. And you have domestic and, helpers. Yeah, the domestic helpers mm. is not expensive at all. I never cooked when I was in China, but now living in my own home, I'm the one I need to prepare yeah. the dinner. Yeah, it's yeah. much more. You're more self-sufficient. I'll say here in North America, you know, you do much more for yourself. You take your kids to the daycare. You, you know, whatever. Where over there, you do have domestic help, which makes life wonderful. I loved it. I felt like I had been born under a lucky star, you know, and that my kids were t- well taken care of. Mm-hmm. My two children were well taken when they were younger. Meals were prepared, so I could work. Mm-hmm. It made life a lot easier in that respect. Right. It's not always the easiest issues that come with that, but and there are very and to understand, you are walking into. You know, 13, 14, 15 hour work days. Mm-hmm. That's not unusual. And then travel. They, I call it the worker bee will be traveling often. So expect that. You know, 50, 60% of the time that could be happening, 70%. And then what happens to the family? So, you know, it's like working together with your family because families can unravel and marriages can unravel in mm-hmm. the expat life. Mm-hmm. And if you don't keep it, you know, communication going. And then on your corporate side and your professional side, Cross-cultural communication is the key. In my cross-cultural work, I tell people this all the time. You're not hired and brought overseas to China because you do a terrible job. Actually, you do a very good job. Your biggest issue is going to be how you communicate cross-culturally, whether that be with the local people, whether that be with your teams that could be made up of 10 different cultures. How do you bring all these people together? And then, personally, How do you get to know the local people? You need to have that cross-cultural communication in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. But that is the biggest challenge. And the environment, depending on where you move. If you don't like cold weather, which I don't particularly like cold, then you need to think about that. You need to think about how hot. You need to think about pollution. You need to think about many factors, you know, in looking at that. You know, for your children, you have to look at the schools. It can go on and on and on. Let's zoom into this uh, corporate uh, communication, mm-hmm. cultural. I think that's something I have noticed uh, can be very challenging, as you mentioned. So, someone coming from like Western culture, like U.S., right? It's very, we call it a low contextual culture, because people say what they think. Yeah, it's very low context. Yeah, yeah. it's yes, no. You know, very direct. Just give me a yes or no answer. Let's discuss it. Okay, we've made a decision. Let's move on. Yeah, yeah. and in China that can be very different. Mm-hmm. And the people are polite. But、uh, sometimes it's confusing for Americans trying to get a yes or no. Well, <laughs> trying to really get what exactly. It's very called high context. You know, moving into a high context societies, which all of Asia, Asian countries are,、mm-hmm. and understanding that your relationship. Is primary. The guanxi, you know, your guanxi is、yeah. very, very important. The relationship is established. That takes time, and in the Asian cultures and in China, build your relationships. Don't ask for the yes or no because that is trapping somebody. Keep your communication open, open-ended questions, so the dialogue can keep going and going. And don't expect a yes or no answer within one day or two days. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So it t- could take weeks, months. Silence. Get used to silence go- by going there. Get used to silence. Get、yeah. used to it because silence is used one 
for silence because people don't have to be talking all the time, but also it's a wonderful negotiation technique in Asia. <laughs> and silence, and Westerners get uncomfortable with silence. I think, you know, 90% of communication is nonverbal. Mm-hmm. So we get caught up in the words and the sounds instead of looking, watching how the person is sitting, how are they, what about the eye contact? Well, eye contact is something very different coming from the West. You know, we look at people to think that that is trust. In Asia, of course, the eyes may go down. Often they are. You're not going to be staring at somebody. Mm-hmm. So how do I get comfortable with that? Um, watching somebody's posture. Mm-hmm. Um, watching for hand movements. You know, there's many things to be looking at. Watch the people at the table. How are they feeling? And then also with cross-cultural communication, if you are leading the group in the meeting, stop every 10 or 15 minutes and paraphrase and summarize to make sure that people understand what's being said. Mm-hmm. Especially there's the language barrier. Uh, yeah, right. so yeah. Stand, stop that and say, okay, let me just recap. Let me just summarize to say what we've heard. The other thing that I think is very important is not to point, you know, don't point at people or don't ask somebody individually because you're in a collective society. You know, we or us are used more than I. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the, t- we look at us as the team. And I'm talking about work in this case. How did we do? Where could we do better? Instead of going, well, you did great or you did terrible, you know, actually individually naming that person. Mm-hmm. Again, you have to look at your corporate culture, how much, you know, and learn how people operate for sure. Mm-hmm. The longer, let's say, a Western corporation has been in China, the local people have a better understanding of working with expats. Mm-hmm. But Yeah, do you have a story about, because uh, you are an executive coach, do you have a good story about someone you have coached that uh, overcome this type of, you know, all kinds of um, barriers when they move from somewhere to China and uh, with your help? Yeah, I mean, this was a while back, but I had this American investment banker, and he was pretty big guy, and walked in, you know, I walked into his office, this beautiful office, and he had his feet up on his desk, you know, and that's what <laughs> America and Americans would do. That you know, it's very right. relaxed and da 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 da. So he's telling me he said that he's head of equities and for the whole region, and he's just moved out here in the last eighteen months, and his whole team had just relocated from different parts of the world, and had moved to, and this was Hong Kong. So. And they were just not, it wasn't coming together mm-hmm. because of the cross-cultural communication. Again, these people knew what they were doing. They were coming from London, they were coming from New York, they were coming from Singapore, you know, they were coming from all over, Tokyo, whatever. But um, they knew exactly what their job was about, but they were coming into meetings and their communication was just misfiring. They mm-hmm. were, you know, and everybody would go, somebody would be more vocal, somebody would silence, you know, so, Asian people, for the most part, aren't going to speak up right away. You do it through written language. You look at, say, do they understand? Yeah, I mean, different ways to communicate. And he said, I'm just losing it. You know, he says, I don't know how to, to work here. We're not doing that well. 
So he says, what can I do? And I, I remember saying the first thing, I said, take your feet off the desk. They don't do that here. <laughs> and he laughed and he sat up. But he just, every time I'd go in and we did about 10 coaching sessions, he was great. But he got it. He brought his team together. Uh-huh. He wanted everybody to understand the other's cultures. Because you have to be able to express who you are. As much as you're trying to understand the new country you're living in, like China or Shanghai or wherever. But they have to understand you, too. It's very important that the local people try to understand the foreigner coming in and right. what, where they're coming from. But how do you bring... And I remember I worked with another team at one of the banks, 15 different people, and I stopped the training 20 minutes into it. And I said, how many of you English is your first language? Mm-hmm. Not one. <laughs> Not one. And I said, you're all trying to speak in English. And they went, so let's talk about what that means and how things can be misconstrued, you know, mistaken. Oh, my God. You know, we've, wait, I thought he meant this or she said that or did this or whatever. No. You have to have clarification. You have to have understanding. And if someone gets mad, what does anger mean in some cultures? It's not acceptable. You know, it's a loss of face. Truly. You know, it's getting mad. Or someone starts crying, where in other cultures, you can yell and scream, and everybody's fine, and they go and have a drink in an hour, you know, but, oh no, no, you can't fight in certain cultures, and especially in Asia, you don't outwardly fight. Right. Um, and so how do you the, resolve conflict? And right. it's learning how to resolve conflict in a very different fashion, and becoming aware of that. And so you keep working with your teams over, and taking the time, as I tell new people moving into China, Take the time to, one, establish your relationships and take time so they understand you. And thirdly, how do you work as a team? Mm-hmm. Have an understanding and go over it because the time is well well worth spent. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't do it in the beginning, you'll be, be paying for it in the end or in the middle and where everything's going blown up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the cross-cultural communication Okay, I think uh, that's great. And don't forget to keep eating because the food is so important in China and it's so delicious. <laughs> <laughs> and explore. Explore your new city and explore your new country. You know, step out and don't just get stuck at work. I mean, work's important, but go and explore. You, you go there, you want to go and have see a whole it. life, right? Yeah. Not just the work life. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. really balance it out. Make sure you exercise, eat well, and sleep. And because the first few months it can you won't be adapting as easily as you think and but please go out and explore don't say after three or four years gee i wish i had gone and seen you know whatever but please go and explore and make, take advantage of while you're living here too and have a good time and have always a sense of humor learn to laugh at yourself in your newness mm. because if you can laugh itself you'll make it much better as an expat you just have to laugh at Some things are so ridiculous. You go, did I just do that, or why are they doing this? But and be able to just have humor, right, right, and have a good smile, and be patient to yourself. Yes, you won't be able to do everything like you were at your hometown, right? It's new place and new culture, new people. That's right. Take the time. Allow yourself the time to make mistakes or, you know, be kind to yourself. Yeah. Be kind to yourself, and you do not operate the way you do back in Amsterdam as you will in Shanghai. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. the, the operations are different. Learn, take your time, be patient. It's time for another quick break. 
China is now the second largest economy in the world. There are hundreds of opportunities for worldwide business professionals to start looking in China. From business leaders to manufacturers to artists and students, you need to discover these opportunities to grow your business and your career. Listen every week for In China with Michelle Zhou, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For business sake, you need to tune in. You are listening to In China with Michelle Zhou. To call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to info at ptcgconsulting.com. Now, back to this week's program. All right. Now we're back. We just talking about... Uh, as an expat before they leave, what they need to prepare, and then when they land to the new country, we are talking more specifically about anywhere in China, what are the things they can do or what are the things they need to watch out for when to, in order to adapt and transition smoothly and be part of the local culture and enjoy the life there. I want to bring the topic to another thing you mentioned, because you are an author, mm-hmm. and you write some books. You write books. Uh, one of the books you just mentioned in the very beginning is called The Path of the Pomegranate. Pomegranate. That's the fruit. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Tell us more about this. I'm, I'm just so curious about what's the path of the pomegranate, which is yeah, talking about people, fruit, The Path of the Pomegranate, and the subtitle is How Adult Third-Cultured Kids Reveal Their Hidden Treasures Over Time. You couldn't make it up. I chose the fruit. The Path of the Pomegranate, first of all, the pomegranate is this amazing fruit that you see everywhere around the world. Mm -hmm. It grows only in certain places. And I used to eat it as a child, actually. But it's been in my life for a long time. And if you look at the pomegranate, it has a very hard casing around it. Yeah, it's red, it's it beautiful. brownish, and... you know, it's right. rough. It's not smooth like a peach. Mm-hmm. And you touch it, and you think, ooh, I don't know, is that so great? And then keep going around. It's got a beautiful flower. The pomegranate flower is very pretty, little yellow flower. But the minute you open it up, and you start cutting into it, this red juice starts to fall out. Mm-hmm. And you keep cutting, and then if you cut it in half, all of a sudden you see these amazing seeds. Right. And these are the treasures, which I refer to adult third-cultured kids. And treasures they are, and there's so many of them. And so they have all this inf- wealth of information. They are colorful. They are my rubies. They are my gems. So that's how I refer to this fruit, that they hold the adult third-cultured kid within that casing. And you don't ever see these people until you open up the case and they reveal themselves. So who, so what's you, this you, book about? Uh, hold on. You mentioned the adult third-cultured kids. Uh-huh. What are they? Yeah. What okay. do you mean? <laughs> All right. Who are they? 
Okay, first of all, third-cultured kids are in my... There's many definitions for third-cultured kids or cross-cultural kids. The ones I'm working with are the ones that have been expatriates living outside their passport country. And for my book, The Path of the Pomegranate, which I have interviewed over 500 people, they had to have had a minimum of two years between 6 to 18 years of age in those developmental years outside of their passport country. Mm-hmm. Many have lived outside their whole lives in their youth. They have moved around, or like my kids, they stayed in Hong Kong, but they went to international schools. Mobility is very much a part of their life. So as you fast forward then into their adult life, many have continued in their professions to continue the, the mobility, the international lifestyle. They marry people or they wind up their partners are from that lifestyle too. Mm-hmm. Some are not. And so what my, and as working with all of them for many decades, I decided to divide my book up into decades. So I've interviewed people in their 20s that led this lifestyle, 30s, 40s, 50s, up to 80s. And so I have different names for each decade, and I have specific questions like, who am I? Identity is very big, very big, because it's like, who am I? I? How have I defined myself? Where is home? Those are very traditional questions that are asked of adult third cultured kids and TCKs. But I'm also asking about the jobs that they chose. Why did they choose the jobs that they chose? Does your boss, does your corporation or your NGO or whoever, do they even aware of an ATCK and the, what the knowledge you have? Most of them will speak at least two languages, if not three or four. Mm-hmm. Highly educated. They know cross-cultural communication. They know how to lead teams. They could be the CEOs. They are politically suave. They have amazing characteristics, and most companies don't even know they have them. They exist. So I ask about their political beliefs. I ask about whether they've been in therapy because of the lifestyle they lived as children. Mm-hmm. I ask them about their how they're raising their own children. I ask them about social media and technology. I ask them a host of questions, and then to see the wealth of information that these people have to offer and to the world, to themselves. And then I talk to them, because often they, they're chameleons. They're mm, chameleons as they, children. They hide their feelings. <laughs> they don't go around telling people, well, we went to Bali here for Christmas and so, we did this. Yeah, with all these, then what kind of conclusion you draw and how we can use that information through all your yeah. interviews? Corporations can use this information and, first of all, recognize. I've given talks at corporations mm-hmm. on adult third-cultured kids mm-hmm. and saying, when you're looking and you send out or you look at someone's CV, what are you looking for? And I list all the characteristics that certainly I just mentioned a few, mm-hmm. but that adult third-cultured kids... And I said, you don't even recognize that these people are part of your your corporation right now. Take advantage of them. Let them come forth. Let them be very much be aware of them and let them take over, you know, certain areas because they have so much to offer. They know what they're doing is in leadership. As far as in education and NGOs, again, same thing, same points about what they have to offer. I think what they also have to offer is their amazing way they perceive the world globally mm. they are very accepting of all cultures every i mean okay this 
you could get you them one person. Nice. Yeah. I know, but they are very accepting. They have a great understanding. They want to be very much involved as volunteers, not just at a professional level, but they really feel like they give to the world. They and they have that understanding of the world. Very cross culturally astute, politically astute, because they've been raised and surround themselves with people from all over the world. So they understand French, they understand China, they understand Australia, they understand Peru. You know, they get the world. And they just are the leaders to me, the future leaders, that if we could have these people, mm. it would be much more humanistic. Wouldn't be battling out some other things. So your point is, these people you call the third... Cultured kids. Cultural Adult. kids. Yeah, Adult. Yeah, the third. third cultural kids. Because they have lived through many different cultures and they moved around, worked with many different types of people, so they are able to have a empathy on different people, different exactly. things, and they can see things through different lenses. Right. Versus the people just grow up in one culture, monocultural. Yeah, monocultural. Mm. That's what you call、mm. it, which is maybe. See things through this one angle. So with that kind of diversity their and their yeah、mm-hmm. the cultural lens, yeah with that then it、uh, if we can use it, then they can be a, a good leader. A great asset.、Mm-hmm. I mean, professionally, if these people you know if adult third cultured kids, as I state in the book, the path of the pomegranate. If they're used, and the, if people just understood who they were,、mm-hmm. and then were able to use them within the corporations、right. or the education in, educational institutions at universities, or like a, NGOs or law firms or you know whoever we're talking about, they add a dimension that nobody else can. They are a certain population,、mm-hmm. and then what they offer to their communities, because again they see things in much more of a Holistic, they very inclusive. I mean, communities around the world today are very diverse. It's not usually just one culture. The other, I'm going to mention another book I contributed to and was just released. It's called Monday Morning Emails. Monday This, morning emails. Yeah,、mm-hmm. that's another very fun title. <laughs> By Joe Parfit and Terry Ann Wilson, but I contributed from the psychological part, and this was to do with expats,、mm-hmm. but talking about many of their issues of being long-term expats, and one is about third-cultured kids, and about having then, as you get older, adult third-cultured kids, and what happens to them, the pluses and the minuses of what could happen. So I look at that too in my book, but that's also been discussed in Monday morning emails. Why so, that name, Monday morning emails? Because Joe and Terry and we're going back and forth writing emails to one another on Monday mornings. It started <laughs> off as Monday morning. It doesn't stay just Monday mornings. It's going back and forth. Decide to write a book. So the but, book has a lot of their emails as a starting well, point. Well, a summary, yeah, yeah, of how they started and how about their life. It's their narratives, their stories, but also. People that contributed, like myself, in, the, in this case, on the psychological. But you will learn more about adult third-cultured kids in this book, in their book too, and about raising them and so forth. So it, it's a great title. It's a, and I was just at the book launch in the Hague last month for it,、uh-huh. and so it was, it's great. It's out. It's there. <laughs> 
So, what's your plan in the future? Because you said you lived in Hong Kong for 30 plus years, and、uh, we met in Seattle, right? Actually, we are doing this together,、uh, sitting together in Seattle in one of those、uh, hotels <laughs> in the lobby. Where it's quiet, <laughs> supposedly.、Uh, my future、so、your, plan. Yeah. First of all, I would love to finish my book, *The Path of the Pomegranate*, which I will. Secondly, I would like to promote that more. I'd like to do more writing、mm. and get more books out and articles and, and so forth. My hope is to be able to do more work in the executive coaching and in the cross-cultural field in North America and in other global parts outside of Asia. I mean, I, and I've worked a lot within Asia. And also, the one area that I didn't talk about is that I've worked with a lot of Asian families and private wealth, fa-、uh, private wealth families,、mm-hmm. and at different dimensions: first gen, second gen, third gen. I love that work. I'd love to do more work with families globally in the human capital, which they call it, and helping the family stay intact,、mm-hmm. even though there's wealth that surrounds them. And I would like to. Be able to talk about my experiences of having lived in Asia for so long. I have a host of things to say, and I feel like teaching could be another at universities and doing postgraduate work. But I would also like to work with the companies, the corporations, the multinationals, in helping them with their diversity, their inclusion, their different people that they're bringing in and out. And so that everyone has an understanding of how they can work together、mm-hmm. in a more harmonious, humanistic style. More w- working with women. I've done extensive work working with women in Asia and throughout the world too. You know, at different levels. And so, that's my dream: is to bring this all together. I'd like to be spending more time in North America. I think it's time for me to kind、North、of look、America、at that. Now, huh? Looking, where's your home, right? Well,、future? where is my home? Well, that's always been the ongoing. <laughs> That's been ongoing. Seriously, that's been my ongoing question. But you know, everybody's. My children are back here in North America. My grandson. But I would like to be here more and working with the companies and working with cross-cultural and working with all the different people and helping them. So you are planning to move back? Yes,、yeah, spending more time. I don't know if I'll ever give it up totally, Hong Kong. You know,、uh-huh. I go back and forth now more and more, but. I still see myself keeping one little toe in Hong Kong. Okay, so <laughs> in Asia, I love Asia.、Uh-huh. Hong Kong will be continuing. One of my homes. <laughs> yeah, one, one of, of your homes. I have several. You're looking at yeah,、mm-hmm. spending more time here.、Yeah. Right. Okay.、Yeah. Good luck on that. All right, and thank you so much. I really enjoy talking to you and for you asking me to be on your program. Thank you. Well, you have so much to offer. We just don't have a, a lot of time, right? It's just one show. Okay, so I think it's time to really say goodbye to all of the audience. I want to thank everyone so much for being here with us、uh, today. We have talked about、um, this big topic: crossing global boundaries, the adaptation, transition, and、uh, assimil- assimilation when moving to China. And、um, as always, I want to thank you to our wonderful guest Leslie Lewis. For people who would like to know more about、uh, Leslie Lewis, you can go to her company website. It's culture3consult.com. Let me spell it out. It's culture. C U L T U R E. Three is the number, number. three. Consult is C O U N S E L. So you put all this together. No space. That dot com. 
and you are listening to In China with Michelle Zhou. I look forward to talk to you again next week. Thank you for tuning into In China with Michelle Zhou. Please join us for another edition next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk again next week. 